Hey everyone, and welcome to our bonus episode, episode number seven of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer, and I will be your host, and I hope our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact with your life. Today's conversation is, to me, a very timely conversation to have. If you are on Facebook, Instagram, or uh, you have a TV, you might have noticed that there has been some pretty significant issues that have risen to the surface, specifically around the issue of racism. And if I'm being honest, I haven't really known what to say. I mean, we have been heartbroken that people have been unjustly targeted and and killed, and, and that's so... So many people have chosen violence in response and others have fallen prey to the political games that have hijacked the blatant dehumanization and injustice in our country. As a Christian who believes, as Paul put it in Galatians 3, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are one in Christ. That does not mean that We are striving to remove our unique differences. It just means that what Jesus did on our behalf has united the greatest racial, political, um, economical, gender divides in humanity. And as a follower of Jesus, that is the message that we promote. That Jesus is our healer, redeemer, and unifier. Ten years ago, I was dumbfounded that racism was really still around. Uh, But living now where I live, just outside of the St. Louis area, about an hour, it has become glaringly apparent that I was very naive. I mean, the issue of racism is a very real, very pressing, and very oppressing problem in our country. And the crazy thing is, many white people like myself don't realize just how pain-ridden it is, nor have we seen how commonplace it has become in our own hometowns, especially in middle America. So today, I, I want to share with you an interview uh, that I was intending to release later on this summer with Dr. Shane Wood on his book, Between Two Trees. This is a book about transformation that has been very helpful in understanding the depth of human sin and the power of the cross. So here's my interview with Shane Wood. Well, I'm honored to have Shane Wood on the podcast. Shane, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Skylar. I appreciate it, buddy. Shane, I uh, I had I've had many classes uh, with you, and uh, even at Ozark, um, I had a had a fairly big beard, and so we had some some um, similarities there. You know, when you had a you had your beard um, going, um, camaraderie and, with our facial hair. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, well, Shane, um, I know you, um, uh, I guess, fairly well, um, but just for our audience uh, who may not know you, can you just uh, t- fill us in a little bit about yourself, like your spiritual mm-hmm. journey, what led you to becoming a Christian and then in mm-hmm. the pastoral ministry and eventually becoming a professor at Ozark? Yeah, you know, I uh, I was basically born in a pew. Like I, my family has been in the church um, and we, every time the church doors were open for as young as I can remember, uh, faith was a part of our life. So at the time, you know, we, we had Sunday school in the morning, church in the morning, Sunday night, you know, church, and then Wednesday night church, always at church. So it was always kind of a part of it. But um, uh, I I think my faith, uh, as opposed to like, when did I, a moment when I came, I mean, I know, you know, I was, you know, baptized on July 12th, um, 1991. 
but I feel like my faith continues just to unfold. Uh, so even recently, I, I have a picture, it's up in my office, um, of whenever I was, my parents tell me I'm two years old, and I'm standing, matter of fact, let me just, let me grab it real quick. I'm standing on my grandma's uh, couch. So you can see this is like 80s, you know, so the oh, couch yeah. with the, you know, uh, but at the, at the, at my feet is a Bible. And my parents said that always, even at the age of two, three, four, when the family was around, um, I would either be uh, performing Michael Jackson songs <laughs> or I would be preaching. And that's oh, what I'm wow. doing in this picture. I'm, I'm shaking my fists and I'm preaching. So I feel like the Lord has put a calling on my heart um, that's been drawing me to him ever since I was basically in the womb. Wow. Um, you know, and I had those big moments um, in, you know, in high school. I mean, getting baptized when I was nine was a big moment in my faith development, um, deciding to go into ministry at a Christ in Youth conference my junior year in high school. Uh, big, big shift. And then, then my faith began to unfold even more at, at um, Bible College and at, at my undergrad at Ozark Christian College. So we share more than one all them alma mater, which is kind of fun, Skylar. But um, uh, and then and then what's fascinating is, um, you know, some people will even ask me as part of my faith journey, like, how'd you become a professor in the Bible? And what's interesting is a lot of it is not was never goal oriented for me. Hmm. It was never a goal of mine as a kid to be a minister. It just kind of that was just the next step and what I felt like God was unfolding in me. It was never a goal of mine to be a professor. Um, and I still don't even think it's a goal of mine. I don't even, I'm not convinced I'll even do this the rest of my life. Um, I, I, it wasn't a goal of mine to get a PhD. It's, it was just a part of, I felt like the Lord in that moment was saying, this is the next step. Um, it was never a goal of mine, you know, to get married, but I did that cause I felt like the Lord was saying it's the next step or to have four kids or to adopt our youngest or and so for me, a lot of my faith journey has been just figuring out what the next step was, taking the step, not knowing where it would end. Um, even though whenever we take moments like this, I stop and look back. There's, there's quite a few milestones and mile markers along the way that I maybe could have pieced together what the Lord was doing. But um, that was never really a, what I spent a lot of my time on. It was mm -hmm. more just how do I press deeper into him? Um, and then everything just kind of unfolded from there. So that my faith journey then is it's kind of, it's both simultaneously, uh, you know, circuitous and yet not that interesting, <laughs> but it, but it means something to me, you know? Cool. Cool. So it's kind of just like this, <laughs> forgive me if this sounds bad, but kind of a free, kind of free spirit, you know, I mean, uh, you know, you just kind of, you just follow God where he leads, you know, and your goal is, uh, I guess, kind of has been, intuitively you know paying attention to what god is telling you each step of the way you know so and uh then here you are yeah that's cool yeah and just just allowing it to unfold i mean what i've what i've found a lot in my life is the more that i watch people or even myself try to force god's will to unfold there's a lot of strain but very little movement hmm. so just trying to step into the stream that the spirit's already already pushing down the river so <laughs> cool cool um, well, Shane, you, um, you wrote a book, uh, a little while back, um, a couple of years, I think a couple of years now. It was um, last year, actually. Yeah. Was it last year? Okay. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You know COVID-19 is all, right. all backwards. So. Right. Everything feels like a decade after COVID, yeah. right? <laughs> so you, so you wrote a book called Between Two Trees, um, an excellent, excellent book. Um, really, really enjoyed it, Shane. So 
thank you for writing that. And I guess kind of following the some of the flow of the the book, um, you kind of talk about the different way this um, death bears fruit. Uh, yeah. It has this continual effect. And, and one of the chapters you talked about, uh, you addressed, you know, segregation, division, mm-hmm. racism. Um, can you talk to me a little bit, talk to us a little bit? Why does that, why is that a personal? Yeah, let me, I can actually, let, let me actually answer that in two ways that, that will come together. They will unite at a certain point into one big answer. Um, the first one is, uh, let me give you a theological reason why that matters. One of the things I wanted to wrestle with is, you know, the concept of becoming one with death can be so abstract that, that there can almost be this like, ah, it doesn't, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a cool idea. And I'm glad you said that, Shane. But so, and then we move on with our day as if it doesn't impact every decision that we make. And the reason why we do that is because the union with death is so pervasive. It is so all consuming. We don't even understand that the way our mind naturally thinks is through the filter of death. Mm, yeah. So we have this natural inclination towards destruction of self and of others, a natural inclination towards division. So I, I have a whole chapter in there on the grammar of death. And the reason why I use the word grammar is because um, there is a fluency of language that we take for granted, especially in America, where everybody speaks English. And if you don't, we even actually treat you weird, <laughs> you know, and so and but, but it's grammar. It's the fluency. It's what we are native. It's what we learned the moment we came out of the womb. We were learning our grammar um, And this this part of my ready to say will actually segue from the theological to the more personal. Uh, but we adopted my youngest. And my youngest, whenever he was two, so we adopted him. The, we actually named him. Um, I named him uh, Robert John, which is uh, the first name is after Dr. Lowry from Lincoln. That was my mentor. Um, and the second one's John because, I mean, Revelation is, is what actually grabbed a hold of my heart. So Robert John, he, we, we actually named him. So we were paired with him before his birth. Uh, he lived for five months uh, in St. Vincent. That's where we adopted him from uh, in the East Caribbean. And um, he lived five months there. We were then, we were then five months, one day, we were holding him from that day forward. He was in our family. When he started talking at the age of two, he was saying words with a Vincentian accent, hmm. which we were like, wait, what? Like he was going, mommy, uh, we're like, what? Because even in the womb, our grammar is being formed. Yeah. Even, even if we're taken out of the context of our grammar, it is embedded into the very DNA. And that's the way death functions with all of us. Um, so this is the reason why um, holiness seems way more boring than sin. This is the reason why we actually even believe that sin's just inevitable. We will always sin. Why? Because that's the grammar of death. The grammar of death is about fear which is fear sells better today than sex does. Uh, grammar is about division when it comes to death. And that's where segregation and racism become important topics to talk about when we're talking about this abstract idea of becoming one with death. So that's my theological reason why I talked about it early. Here's the personal reason. Um, whenever I adopted my youngest, we became a biracial family. Um, and this was intentional. We, we intentionally uh, wanted to, um, wanted to, what's the word? Pursue the heart of God through adoption and through his consistent emphasis of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we, we moved as a family into a deep time of prayer and discernment 
Uh, we initially had our heart set on a different country and a girl. We wanted a girl from Haiti, and we ended up with a young boy from St. Vincent. Um, but what's fascinating is, is as we began to move in this direction, racism that had been under the surface in my family's dynamic and in my own heart began to surface. Um, not intentional. Some of it was intentional. Um, so I talk about chapter four whenever I was uh, four years old, the first time I heard the N-word from my grandma, um, who grew up in the South. And, um, and there's a deep redemption story with that. My grandma actually just passed away this past December. Wow. Um, and so as a part of the gift, as, as my mourning, there's this picture that I, I actually wasn't able to conclude in the book because um, the, the, the pixelation of it wasn't good enough quality. Uh, but it's a picture of my grandma who grew up in the deep South racism uh, touching fingers with my young, my young son. Uh, and then, you know, and he's, he's black. Um, it, it means a lot to me because actually we're, it's not a theory to me when we're talking about racism. It's actually now that my son's in second, second grade that we're experiencing as a, uh, we're experiencing stuff that as a white male, I never experienced. Yeah. Um, the amount of pain that he experiences on the playground when kids talk about and question why his skin looks like dirt um, is something that my wife and I never had to experience, but the pain of a parent that longs to protect their children from any sort of um, harsh words or ostracism, or it became apparent to me that there's actually layers of racism that I didn't even know existed, even in my own, even in my own home. And let me give you an example that I, I wasn't able to put in the book. Um, when Robert was about three years old, Robert, um, my wife and him were playing on the floor and he just looked at her and said, mommy, I don't want chocolate skin like mine anymore. I want vanilla skin like you, mm. which immediately my wife was like, whoa, 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 like Robert, like, why would you, you know, and she's, you know, loving on him. And, and then she, you know, brought him to work that they brought my lunch that day. And she told me what happened. And I, I mean, I looked in Robert's face and I was like, no, it's like, your skin is beautiful. I love that your skin is black because God made you that way. And if your skin was a different color, then you would no longer be Robert. And God gave me Robert and I love Robert. Now I have a good buddy that lets me ask dumb questions. He's a strong black man, really good Christian man, very successful man. And I just, I have to have this buddy on for the sake of my son's heart where I can ask questions that even could come across racist but I need him to help me understand how to see the world through my son's eyes. Mm. Um, and so I went to him and I told him what happened. I said, Eric, I don't, I, I'm like, what do we do? Like he said this and his, his response to me was, he goes, well, here's the good news. You taught him that. Oh. And I go, wait, what? He goes, you, you taught him that he should have vanilla skin instead of chocolate skin. And I was like, absolutely not. Like I'm not racist. It's like, we do nothing but affirm his skin color. And we, you know, and he goes, he goes, stop, stop, stop. He goes, let me ask you some questions. He said, um, it was around Christmas time. And he goes, um, do you have Christmas cards hanging up? I said, yeah. He goes, are the pictures uh, white or black? It's like, well, they're white, but that's the people that sent me the pictures. He goes, okay. He goes, um, your wife and you go on double dates? I said, yeah. He goes, when the people show up, are they a white couple or a black couple? said, white. He goes, on your TV screen, whenever you guys are watching TV and there are cartoons, is the hero a white person or a black person? 
Mm. I was like, well, shoot, white. And he goes, you taught him this. Wow. He goes, but here's why that's good news. You can teach him something different. And so we, we actually went through a series of time of redecorating our home intentionally mm. to make sure that on our walls, it was communicating that his skin color was valued. We, we've gone through and we actually filter what shows they watch so that, that there are, so like, you know, when the, when the Spider-Verse movie came out and the hero, that the kid that became Spider-Man was a young black kid, we made sure that the moment that was out, that was a big thing for my son and I to go watch. Why? Because I had accidentally, as his dad, the one he looks up to, had communicated to him without even meaning to. It's not even, and this is part of the thing that I think in the church that we don't, here's the thing that frustrates me about this issue in the church. We're more worried about protecting our reputation of not being racist than we are actually wrestling with what the world um, of people with different colors and backgrounds see whenever we look through their eyes. Mm. And, and this is my response to myself and to our church. Listen, God didn't just theorize about what it meant to be a human and sat on his throne and said, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm actually pro-human. No, he became flesh. He put on our flesh and he experienced this world through our eyes. And the word empathy is one in the church that we really need to, re, we need to re, recapture. Sympathy means we feel bad for someone. Empathy, even in the English language, when you look up the word empathy, the word empathy means to see the world through the eyes and the emotions of another person. It is to what Jesus did in Philippians 2, to empty yourself and to take on the flesh of someone else. And and, and racism will never really truly be addressed in our churches until Christians are able to do that. And what's fascinating to me about this is, number one, the division of any kind is the grammar of death. But number two, we even have examples of disciples of Jesus Christ who are good, good, good men and preachers like Peter, who still realized his racism in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is all about unearthing the racism that, that Peter had in his heart that he didn't even realize he had until God said, I want you to go to a Roman centurion who is a Gentile into his home and to bring him to, to Jesus. And Peter, Peter argued with God about it. Yeah, yeah. Three times God tells him to go do it. Peter's like, you can't mean that. So you must be saying something else. And then Peter finally comes to this conclusion. Um, literally in the Greek, he says, uh, we, we translate it where it says, I now understand that God does not show favoritism. In Greek, that literally means, I now understand that God is not a face taker that he does not make judgments or even dispense his grace based off of what it is that we see. Oh, wow. Instead, he pierces deeper. And, and, and whenever it comes to union with God, we have to, in the church, come to terms that if we're really wanting to prepare for heaven, hmm. then we better get used to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation sharing every space because in Revelation, it is emphatic that that's what heaven is going to be. Um, this should be an issue. This should be something that Christians as a whole, and it's not even just about race. This is about even ageism inside of our churches. Like, like if I just can just be really frank, and I, I mean, now I just feel like I'm talking to a buddy. Um, the way that our churches usually talk about and engage the older generations is appalling. Like we think that the older saints inside the church, the only thing they can really do is, is to hand out bulletins as people are walking in. That is, that is, 
can you stop for a minute and put your put the flesh on of a 78 year old that's asking themselves this question i love jesus do i have a place in his body anymore to serve him we we don't even we don't even stop enough to do that with age more or less race more or less economics people that are losing their jobs in covid it's easy to not actually experience that until you lose your own job there's a part of this where Christians should be experts, experts in empathy. But I feel like a lot of us Christians are more trying to protect our own reputations and we're afraid of being accused of something that we don't think we are. So we don't take the time to self-reflect and actually see if our actions are betraying something that our heart does not long for. To me, it's the least I can do, not just for my son, but for my brother and sister in Christ that may not look like me or have the same experience as me. But the problem is, is I'm more, a lot of times I'm more worried about protecting my territory and my position than I am actually emptying myself and taking up my cross on behalf of my brothers and sisters. Not even, not even non-Christians. We're not even moving to non-Christians yet. I'm just talking about other Christians. There's a part of this where if I'm just going to be honest, like racism has absolutely no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we should be passionate about eradicating it, especially, frankly, if I'm just going to be honest, especially as a white male in a whitely, white-dominated tradition in church. I'm not going to apologize that I'm white, but I need to be aware of the significance of the fact that, that the history of our church or of our country and our church does put me in a position where I do not have to wrestle with the, the evils of racism yeah. uh, because, of, because of just the, the, automatic, the automatic privileges that I receive just because I'm white. Now, so then what do I do with those privileges? Do I beat myself up over them? Do I talk negative about them? No, I do what Christ did. Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself on behalf of those that did not have those advantages so that they can. So this is the reason why I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'm okay with people getting upset with me about my book because my son deserves his dad to fight for him. Mm. All of my sons do. Yeah, I have two white sons and a white daughter and a black son. And it's like, so how do I fight for all of them? It's, it's to teach them how, how Christ fought for us when we were in sin. Mm. To empty himself and to use what he has been given, the privileges he's been given, not for his own advantage, but for the advantage of those that do not have it. Mm. I'm so thankful uh, for, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm as thankful for my skin as I am for my son Robert's skin. But both of them very clearly delineate a mission in the church. Mm. And my white skin says, I need to use my positions that are, that are easily more accessible to me on behalf of those that do not have a voice, that do not have the opportunities. Um, and that to me is not a, this, the thing that really, sorry, I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little passionate about him. So this is a, this is a, this is a daddy bear talking about one of his cubs. So I, I apologize, but. Uh, one of the things that really ticks me off is that, is that Satan does this all the freaking time, and it really makes me mad. He's made this a political issue. Mm-hmm. The moment it becomes a political issue, now all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're arguing over if you're a donkey or an elephant, as opposed to do you belong to the slain lamb or to the red dragon. And I'm going, this is, this is not a political issue. This is a Christian issue. And the Christian issue of this is this. We will do whatever it takes to bring unity to the places where death divides. And we will not apologize for that. And we will even do what Peter did 
and to walk into places that we didn't even think were allowed by the law of God because the spirit led us there. Mm. So for me, racism isn't about Democrats or Republicans or it's, it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into a place that is united with death. And what happens whenever life comes in? Well, things get messy. Yeah. Yeah. Man. You can edit all that out if you want. That's, <laughs> that's where my heart is on that. <laughs> that was good. No, Shane, I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm glad you said that. So I, w- I was going to ask, um, but I think you just kind of answered it. You know, why is it we, you know, um, want to kind of protect our, uh, our status um, more than yeah. um, not? And, you know, you just kind of, I guess, talking about when, you know, I guess things take a little bit more political tone to it. Um, you know, it becomes, I guess, a little bit, uh, the conversation for people feels differently. And I, I think the political aspect of it is a big piece to it. I think there's also, see, whenever you're united with death, self-protection is going to be the natural grammar that you speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever you're united with God and Christ on the cross, self-protection was not what Christ was fighting for when he is hung on a tree between two trees. Mm-hmm. It's self-sacrifice. So the fact that we, that, and this isn't even like, this isn't a criticism of us. This is actually saying, I understand why we naturally move towards territory and self-protection because that's the grammar of death that we united with. That's our natural language. We speak that more fluently. Yeah. But when Christ comes, he gives us a new grammar to speak. He gives us a new language to adapt. And that is one of life, one of love, one of self-sacrifice. So definitely the political conversation, anytime politics gets its hands into anything, it takes it to places where what's crazy is sometimes the gospel can't even reach it. Like sometimes you just, you can't even, you can't even talk about some of the issues because the politics has their death grip on it so much. The moment you say anything, you get accused from both sides about being something else. And it's like, listen, I'll be true showing all my cards. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I care whether or not you're a Christian or not. Mm. And there's a part of this where I'm going like, listen, when, when I'm going to fight for what the slain lamb laid down for, and if, if the Democrats get upset, I don't care. If the Republicans get upset, I don't care. My, what I care about is, am I advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Mm. And, and so I speak out on the issue of racism on behalf of my son, but also because I'm going, but this is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. We, we fight for life. We fight for unity. We fight for the dignity of those that have no dignity. This isn't even just about racism, though. Like I said, it's about ages. It's also about even like, can you just stop for a minute and look around your churches and ask yourselves the question, if I had a physical disability, is it easy to come to the altar or difficult? And, and, and sometimes you don't even know that until you actually sit down in a wheelchair and try to view the world. All of a sudden, you see stairs in places you never saw stairs. Yeah. All of a sudden, you see lips that are hard to get over that you never saw before because you could step over it. it, it it's, it's, it's just a consistency of looking around at, at different ways in which um, because we don't have to put on the flesh of someone else, that we don't actually see the world through their eyes. But thankfully, we have a God that became flesh so that he could experience all that we experienced even though he was without sin. This is Hebrews. This is John 1. This yeah. is Acts 10. This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't a political pedestal. This is the Bible. Yeah. yeah. So what do we do then? You know? Yeah. But I understand. 
That's good. Yeah. Shane, thank you for sharing that and just kind of um, weaving together, you know, theology life and, you know, um, today. Um, so um, I guess, you know, with this kind of ageism, racism, prejudice, you know, all of that kind of wrapped together. So what should Christians and, and churches, how should we be, I guess, addressing this issue, I guess, privately and publicly? Yeah. My, my, my first response is this, the, the best way to engage these issues is to first do the most difficult thing, and that's to move internal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something, and I say it's the most difficult because a lot of times we have no problem speaking publicly about stuff that we believe in, especially in the social media world where everybody's an expert on every topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, a lot of these issues I'm going, if, if you actually dealt with the brokenness of your own story in your own life first, then, then the way in which you engage it externally naturally shifts. I feel like we invert this a lot, though. We try to figure out, how do I speak about this publicly? But we don't do the more difficult work of unearthing the brokenness inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the best way to deal with these types of issues is to, is to get used to staring in the mirror and not hiding from the mirrors that try to reflect everything that, that, is, that we are projecting. Um, but most of us don't want to do that. Matter of fact, I think that's that's one of the reasons why the pandemic has been so difficult. Uh, the pandemic and quarantine, I, spe- I mean, you, you're in Illinois, right? So y'all, y'all's quarantine's no joke. Like your, your governor's not messing around. Uh, but a lot of the reason I'm noticing um, a lot of in my pastoring of people, um, the pain is pretty intense because pain that is left untransformed is transferred from one person to another. And, and we've found ways in the busyness of our lives and in our, our routines and our rhythms and, um, and frankly, even sacrificing ourselves by being involved in a thousand programs at our churches, we found ways to not have to stare into the mirror of the brokenness of our own soul. Yeah. Well, the pandemic has, quarantine has, has forced us to be at home. Uh, one of the things that's very disturbing is I heard a report recently that the, uh, the, amount of child abuse cases has gone down dramatically during the quarantine. And that's terrifying. It's not because they're not there. It's because there's no way to report it. Hmm. So what's happening now is that there's no outlet for the pain. The pain is so self-contained inside of our homes that usually the people that are in the closest circles are experienced. They're the only release valve for your pain. But no one can actually be a part of your circle to see what it is that's happening. So you usually find yourself then in situations like this, lashing out uniquely uh, at different people that even usually are closest to you. Why? Because the pain of staring into the mirror and dealing with your own brokenness is so intense uh, that we would rather hit someone else in order, uh, instead of actually dealing with the brokenness that we see right in front of us. People self-medicate in so many different ways. We all do this. Every one of us do it. The problem is, is that sometimes our self-medication for the pain that we feel of the untransformed brokenness inside of us, some of that self-medication is socially acceptable, like workaholism. Workaholics have just as much brokenness as alcoholics. Alcoholism is just not socially acceptable. Workaholism is patted on the back. But what if you can't go to work? What if you can't go to movie theaters and get lost for two to three hours? What if you can't go to sporting events and to get lost for a couple of hours being dedicated to a team? Or what happens if there's no political debates because even all of them are being quarantined? Where does the pain go? 
if you really want to deal with these issues, this is whether we're in quarantine or not, do the hard internal work of refusing to hide from the pain from your past, the pain that controls your every move every day, deal with it straight. So a lot of times whenever I sign books, which I always felt very uncomfortable doing, yeah. and, but people ask. And so as I'm signing, I said, you know, I'm going to change this into a moment where I'm doing something I feel is very awkward. I'm going to change it into a prayer moment. Mm. And so I usually, as I'm talking to them, I'm praying what I'm writing down over them. And one of the things I found myself writing a lot to the people I was talking to is, is this line, may God's wounds heal your wounds or may, or I'll say it some other way, like may your wounds be healed by his wounds. A lot of the times though, so I don't put this in the book too, but a lot of, you know, as, as a dad of four, we had a lot of bicycle wrecks. And whenever my kids uh, would, 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 would like, you know, they'd come up screaming, you'd think you're going to have like an arm or a limb hanging off, but, but it's just usually a scraped knee. And what they all do, doesn't matter. Every one of them, my kids are so different personality, you know, so different, but they all did the same thing. They're covering their wound on their knee with their hands. And as their dad, the first thing I have to do is to convince them that the only way to heal the wound is to, to uncover it and to expose it. Take your hands off the wound. That's good. And once, once they do that, then the healing can begin. But until they do that, healing can't even happen. The problem is when you take your hands off of the wound, you're going to experience more pain before you experience the healing. But, but the, the worst pain you can experience is to keep your hands over the wound because then it becomes infected and then it starts to affect not just your leg, it starts to affect your entire body. And most of us Christians are walking around with our hands covering our wounds like Adam and Eve did by sowing fig leaves to try to hide their shameful nakedness from the all-knowing God. We're doing the same things as our mom and dad did back in Genesis 3. So, so really for me, how do you deal with racism? Drop your fig leaves. Be vulnerable, expose your wounds so that healing in you can happen so that then you'll be prepared to start healing other people. Man, and that's, that, that's the, the place of pain is also the place of transformation. Yes. And I, I, I heard it said, somebody, somebody way smarter than me said, um, you know, we change when the pain, of, uh, the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's the bummer is, is that we have an incredibly high tolerance for pain. Every decision that you make, you become someone different mm. for better or worse. Every single decision that you make is transforming you into someone. So the question is, what decisions are you making? And when you take, make those decisions in Christ through the spirit over a long period of time, then you will see those decisions together have a cumulative effect of transformation. One of the best things a Christian can do is to stop and ask this question, what has actually occurred over the last five years of my walk with Jesus? You will start to see transformations been happening, but it was happening so subtle that you didn't even know it was happening. And those, the people that find themselves where their hearts are absolutely shattered and their world is falling apart, here's the beautiful thing. One decision today, to step deeper into Jesus can change who you are tomorrow. And especially if you do that same type of a step every single day, it unfolds. Transformation is unfolding, mm. but we just don't see it that way. 
Shane, that is so good. Thank you so much um, for one, writing the book and then taking the time to share with us and break down um, some of those key important topics that, that we need today. You know, we need to lean into the pain, not for pain's sake, but because that is where God wants to work in all of our lives. Absolutely. So, Shane, thanks hey, so dude. much. Man. Thank you for having me, Skylar. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but after that interview, I feel like I need to look a little bit closer in the mirror. I mean, it was such a convicting point to hear that many of us are so focused on protecting our own status that we can overlook and ignore the issues altogether. The example we have of Jesus, as Shane so powerfully reminded us of, is to listen and to learn with empathy and to resist the need to defend ourselves. The gospel reminds us that we are all equally guilty before God, but we are also equally justified in Christ. If we believe that, then as the church, we should be leading the way in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. One day we will stand side by side with our brothers and sisters from every race and every nation to worship the Lamb who was slain. And what Jesus is calling the church to do now is to bring a vision of what heaven will one day look like here. Do me a favor really quick. Can you take a moment and like this podcast and leave a review? It helps more people get access to conversations like this, and I think more people need to hear what Shane had to say today. Well, I hope this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next Wednesday as we talk about how to deal with a Bible that seems so confusing and difficult to understand.